0: And welcome to episode eight of the Ola Guapa podcast. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host Nisha Patash. I'm also the founder and creative at Ola Guapa, a digital community of almost 10,000 artists and creatives from all over the world. A blog, a website, an online shop, and most recently, a podcast. On this podcast, we take the creative conversations even further, sharing the real stories, tips, and tricks the artists in this community have found on their journeys to success. So today I'm super excited to get into this episode as I sit down with Lucy Giller at the very beginning of quarantine to chat about her creative journey. Lucy went from a copyright to an art director at a prestigious magazine house to ditching it all to go back to art school at 27 years old. From there, fell in love with hand lettering while she was on maternity leave and spent three years practicing her craft and taking on side projects while working a nine-to-five and raising her daughter, before taking the plunge to work as the freelance boss lady she is today. If there is ever a story that embodies the phrase, start by starting, this is it. So if you're currently trapped behind a prestigious job title, but you aren't really feeling fulfilled, or if you've been bitten by the creative bug, but haven't yet hit your stride, then this is the episode for you. And with that, let's not waste any more time and welcome Lucy to the show. My name is
1: Lucy and I run Little Gem Studio. I'm a lettering artist and my work is very, very retro, very pink, very um, feminine, but with a very sarcastic touch. Um, And it's a lot of my work is just me figuring things out as I go along. And I think that comes across my work. And I know that's what people really um, seem to feel attached to is that sense of like. None of us know what we're doing. The world is crazy. And we're just all here trying to figure it out one step at a time.
0: Totally. I mean, first of all, obviously, I love everything pink. Everybody knows that. So <laughs> that was probably what first attracted me to your work. But um, you do like the coolest, like you said, kind of retro style lettering and um, putting together these like really fun quotes that you share on in your Instagram. And I know that you talk a lot about like your journey and your process and um, how you sort of started later on in life on your creative journey. Yeah. Can I mean, you take us back to sort of like the beginning of how you became to be this artistic woman?
1: Well, I was always interested in art. Um, I wasn't a kid that drew all the time, but I loved art classes. And when I was in school, I really wanted to go to art school. And my parents, kind of the classic thing, said, no, you have to get a sensible degree. Uh, right. Art is something you can do for fun, but you need to, you know, get like a real diploma. Right. So I applied to do English literature, which looking back now, I thought, That's not really (laughs) a super useful degree either, but whatever. Um, and so some art was something that I always did on the side. I was always doing screen printing classes. I was always taking workshops whenever I had the chance and it wasn't until I'd been working for a while in an advertising agency as a copywriter that I realized it was the work I was doing with the graphic designers and the collaborations with them that was, was the most interesting to me um so once a year you have a chance to do a test to get into the art school here and i thought you know what i'm going to do it i'm going to try it and if i get in that's a sign and if i don't get in that's a sign and i'll figure something else out and i was accepted and so when i was 27 it was only when i was 27 that i went to art school you know the oldest one of the oldest people in the class but i think doing it that way was really good for me because i had such a different mindset knowing like this this is really what I want to do um, for the rest of my life and having a good understanding of what the actual working life as a designer is instead of some maybe um, fantasy notion of what it's like to make art for a living. I had more of an understanding of like the nuts and bolts behind it.
0: I feel like there's so much to like unpack there because, you know, there's so many creatives who I feel like they think that they need a certain path, you know, they think that they need to go to art school. And by, like you, you've talked about this before where, you know, reaching certain milestones by, cer- by a certain age and mm-hmm. you kind of did it. You kind of came around the back, you know, you did yeah. career path first, decided that you wanted to do um, this sort of like lettering or art form or typography and then went to school to study for it.
1: Well, and I didn't even do lettering when I was at school. I did it a little bit, but wow. it wasn't anything that was presented as, so this was in 2010. Just, there were people like Jessica Hish, but it wasn't really a massive thing like it is nowadays. So I would throw lettering into my pieces once in a while, but nobody ever said like, oh, this is actually something that you can do. And this is like a form of illustration that you could work towards. So I didn't start. So even then I was just a regular graphic designer and I didn't start lettering until I was on maternity leave and I got out, you know, some calligraphy brushes and started playing around with calligraphy. So even that was a way of saying like, okay, how can I develop myself in another direction?
0: Mm-hmm. Was it something that kind of always spoke to you, the, the lettering quality of of art or did I, you discover it?
1: I have always, when I was at school and I, A friend sent it to me recently, something from when we were in fifth grade, a letter that I'd written to her with the header done in, you know, highlighter with all these weird sort of fake graffiti things around it. So I think it's something that I've just always been interested in. It's something that I've always kind of played around with, especially because I don't consider myself a great drawer. Um, But letters are something that's always just fascinated me.
0: It's kind of interesting, you know, even to say like, you're not great at drawing, and then you've been able to make this transition from working a nine to five job for somebody else to freelancing for yourself. And obviously, you have a huge following on social media. Um, everybody like responds so well to the art that you're creating. Can you talk about that transition? So I mean, I know you went to school, you sort of studied, or you're sort of figured out that you wanted to do lettering after school. Now you're working in nine to five. And how are you making that transition?
1: Well, um, again, I think, I think for a lot of people, it's a situation that's going to be so familiar to them. I was doing a job. I was working um, for, as a graphic designer for a magazine, which is super interesting. And I was working as an art director, and it's something I kind of love doing. But something was missing, and I wasn't doing anything that really refre- reflected me or my voice or my interests. Mm-hmm. So I started just lettering on the side as sort of a creative output uh, outlet compared to, you know, the work I was doing for my boss. And it was really a way to practice and to put it on the Instagram to show to kind of hold myself accountable and make sure I was practicing every day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And from that, it built. And people started finding me, asking if I was available for work and things like that and from that i was able to build up enough of a client base that i was able to say okay i know i have enough work that i can safely kind of with no risk make the jump to freelance and, and what was the
0: timeline of that how long did that process take
1: so um, well, i'm trying to think so
0: like if you I started, started learning learning lettering mm-hmm.
1: i started learning lettering 7 years ago i started Lettering on Instagram probably in
0: 2016,
1: 2017,
0: around then. And then from the launch of your Instagram to when you were able to freelance? Um, So that maybe took three years. Of just consistently doing it every day on the side after work or?
1: Yeah, it was basically I would go to work, I would come back play with my daughter, put my daughter to bed and then from eight till 10 or eight till 11 or whatever, I would sit and and practice. And I
0: it's, think it's so important for people to hear like that, you know, it started for you just, I don't even know if it started as a side hustle as much as it started for you as like a creative outlet. And because you were doing it so consistently for quite a long period of time, like three to four years is, is, it's not two weeks, you know, and yeah. I think we see these like um, you know social media accounts where everything just looks like an instant success story, and so I'm super interested in hearing about the journey and about you know what you were doing in the time before you blew up as this super successful artist
1: yeah, and I think I think when you're in it, it can um because initially of course it wasn't my goal to to be able to freelance doing this. Right. It was really just, just something fun for me and something that I wanted to learn.
0: Was it something um, that you like, couldn't even have imagined being possible?
1: No, especially because, I mean, I was doing art direction at a magazine. And for me, that was like, that was what I wanted to do. I yeah. wanted that to be my job. Right. So at some point I thought, you know, I've got this kind of dream job. Do I really want to leave the security of that and a little bit the, um, the status? Yeah. Uh No, it's a good job. But at the end of the day, even when I thought about, okay, maybe I'll move to a different magazine. And I thought, you know what, I'm never going to be able to do exactly what I want to do. There's Mm -hmm. always going to be, you know, an owner or an editor or a boss Mm -hmm. who's, sees things completely differently than I do. And then I realize if I ever want to really do work that re- represents me, I need to do it under my own name and I need to do it freelancing.
0: It's an important uh, conversation because it's like you can spend all your time and energy um, as a creative, you know, helping somebody else fulfill their vision, um, which I know that you've like spoken to about um, – you know, setting the right price point and really valuing yourself as an artist and making sure that, you know, your, your time and your work is being paid for, um, which are all like wonderful things and there's no right or wrong route, but there is something to be said for really wanting to fulfill your vision as a creative. And like you said, making that transition.
1: Yeah. And I mean, now of course I have clients and I, and I do whatever they need, but it's so different being able to have that direct, um, talk with a client instead of just,
0: well, a they're boss. coming to you Dang. for your vision, you know? Right. Like, for so your you're already impact.
1: starting off exactly with a, a kind of agreement that like they know what I do and they know why they're approaching me.
0: Yeah. Is Is there something that like you think that you did along the way? Was it like a morning routine? Was it um, like you you mentioned consistency? Was there any one thing that you can think of that really sort of like moved the needle for you?
1: No, I mean, as far as a routine or having consistency, I am not, I am not that person. <laughs> I'm somebody who I'll write a list of, of what I'm going to do and I keep thinking oh, I'm going to wake up and then I'll do, you know, a meditation or something in the morning and then I do it once and then it's like,
0: uh, yeah, nope,
1: <laughs> never do it again. But I think, I, think, I think one thing that I do love is I love learning new things. I've always loved learning new things. So, part of I think the thing that kept me going was seeing, okay, somebody used this technique or somebody did something in a certain style. And how do I do that? And how do I figure, figure that out? And that was what kept me after work and everything willing to sit and practice just because I was so curious to see if I could do it and see if I could figure out a way to make it work. Yeah. And so, even now, like, even now that I'm lettering, I've got a studio that I've been in since February and I'm trying to learn how to do sign painting and how to do like gold um, sign painting and things like that. And I'm, I'm terrible at it. It's really hard. It takes so much practice. I find it really difficult, but I also need that being, being a beginner at something. That's something that I really, um, it
0: really motivates me Mm -hmm. to sort of like um, accomplish or like tackle this skill set that you maybe didn't have before
1: exactly and there's something I think no matter what you learn how to do there's something you can always take away from it and bring it into the work that I do Mm -hmm. and sometimes you don't necessarily see that connection um And it's only later that you realize like, oh, okay, doing these experiments and learning these new things, even if I don't use it in my day-to-day work, it's really benefited me in some smaller way. Mm -hmm. So for example, I taught myself how to make pinatas. (laughs) And I had a phase where I would sit and cut fringe myself to make a pinata. But I actually have a client now and that's how she found me. Not that she, you know ever asked me to make a piñata for her, but she saw this piñata that I made with lettering on it and I made her stop and look to see who I was. And that was what caused her, you know, was the reason
0: why she wrote to me. That's so wild. Yeah. It was like a little stepping stone, even though, like you said, you know, maybe she didn't come to you for the piñata, but that's what got her attention is that you did something sort of outside of the box, you know? Yeah.
1: And I think that that's why experimenting and and new things is so important because you kind of never know what's going to, maybe years down the line, what's going to come from it.
0: Totally. I know. I think, yeah, sometimes you could get stuck in a bubble. And um, I, I know that, you know, especially maybe in every art form, but I think with lettering too, like I think there's a focus on developing your personal style. And so you can kind of get stuck in that and doing the same thing over and over again. So experimenting and being like, I, I can do more than that too, is, is yeah. a really great approach to keep evolving your brand. I know that you do um, a lot of research like sort of before. So when you work for a client or I don't know if you even do it for your own personal work, but you do a lot of research into like the history of, um, you know, the yeah. lettering style. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, that's, I mean,
1: I think that's also one thing that's so powerful about lettering is like, it's just the, the written word obviously has such a long history And there have been these typefaces that have been developed centuries ago. And so I live in Vienna and in the 1920s, the like Art Nouveau style and the Jugendstil, they had these just wild lettering on the posters. And you look at that and then you look at um, band posters from the 1970s and you see that direct influence. And so I think looking back at old styles is so valuable because there's so much that you can learn from it. And I think having, having that information, so if I say, okay, this lettering style is influenced by a poster from the 1920s that I saw here in Vienna, and I'm doing a piece related to Vienna or whatever, even if a lot of people don't see it, I think it gives it just a lot more... Um, I don't know, like, it gives it a lot more, it places it in a context, even if the, you know, the readers or the people looking at it don't necessarily have that automatically. I do think there's something to having, like, a reasoning behind using the
0: letters that
1: you're using. So yeah, like I did a there's piece like a for,
0: feeling injected in into- Yeah.
1: I did a piece for Elizabeth Warren, or not for her, but um, just kind of inspired by her campaign, and I did some research into, like, type foundries set, you know, from Boston, and I used, you know, a typeface that one of them had designed to influence my piece. And I just think something like that, it's, even if it's just for me, I love Mm -hmm, having that mm -hmm. like information behind it. And there's actually, there's somebody doing, um, it's like a Black-owned type foundry, and he's basing his fonts on protest um, posters from the civil rights movement. And I think something like that is just so powerful. And when you know there's this meaning behind it, it just makes it that much stronger, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. It almost gives your work like um, a sense of purpose or it's like rooted in in context or history, like you said. So, you know, it's not sort of just like floating out there in the abyss. It grounds it a little bit more. Right. And there's,
1: there's such a long history. I think it's it's good to pay homage to that sometimes and to, you know, sort of tip your hat to all the work that was done, been done before because, you know, lettering wasn't invented, even though it's popular now, it's been around for centuries.
0: Yeah. And I think like even, you know, working with clients, it's um, sort of a little extra maybe added surprise or bonus, or maybe that's why they choose to work with you in the first place is that there's like um, a sort of a storytelling nature to your work. And, you know, they get to then pass that story on when they share the art with, with somebody else. Even what you just mentioned about Elizabeth Warren and sort of doing that Boston tribute to like the typography that, you know, she gets to, if she sees the work, you know, share it with, with other people as well. I think it, it makes it very personal. Um, And I know that you've traveled a lot too. (laughs) That's such a sore spot right now. (laughs) I know, I know because we can't go anywhere. I know.
1: Yeah. This, I was supposed to do a lot of travel. Um, I had a lot of travel planned for May this year and um, having to cancel everything was really, was really hard.
0: Yeah. Because
1: that's, I mean, that's something else that I love. Like every time I travel, my pictures are not of my family or my friends or sites. They're of signs and posters that I find and, and things like that. Just because again, again, it kind of goes back to the history of it. Like the way signs, I was in Budapest a little while ago, and the way signs are written there. It's totally different to the way signs are written here in Vienna. And that difference and looking at that and seeing why it's different and, and what makes it, you know, really interesting or what makes it...
0: That, like, uh, moment of discovery.
1: Yeah, and even just looking at, like, okay, there's some little change in the way they're writing the letters and it suddenly feels completely different and it's got a different sense of place and it just I, that fascinates me.
0: It's funny to me because it's like you so found your thing. Like I think that a lot of people, probably especially creatives, are like always kind of looking to where they they like hit that groove and they find their lane. And it feels like you know when you're like so passionate and so obsessed with something, it's like all you can see. And it's like you know, yeah. Like for me, (laughs) I love like prints and patterns and textiles. And so when I travel, it's probably the same. Like I'm super inspired by all the different artisans and all the different like uh, you know weaves and and techniques that. That they use that are sort of like you know rooted in their history and it's like you're doing the same thing but you're doing it with lettering and signs and it's so yeah. fascinating
1: no my friends laugh at me when we travel together because I'm always stopping and <laughs> trying to take a picture of some piece of type
0: I found somewhere do you tr- have has all your travel just been for fun it seemed like you did a lot of travel in your in like your early 20s is that right um yeah, I've never traveled. I've never traveled for work.
1: Um, unfortunately, it's all just it's all just fun. So last year, I planned to I did more or less like a trip each month, trying to go somewhere new each month, which I mean, it didn't work out to each month, but but more or less. And even if it was just, I have to say living in Vienna, we're so well suited to go somewhere, because so many places are so close by. So it's easy to do like a weekend trip somewhere. Um, and I, I, I need, I need, I need it. I need to, I love being somewhere different and I love going somewhere and I don't speak the language and kind of figuring it out and having to make your way around the city and researching.
0: Are you feeling like I, I've talked to, um, you know, I think this is like, I want to say like the sixth or seventh um, sort of interview that I've done for this podcast. And the thing that I'm hearing a lot is that creatives are feeling super, they're either feeling super stifled right now with COVID and the lockdown and everything happening, or they're really leaning into it and sort of finding this like huge opportunity of time and space to be able to sort of create more freely. Are you, if travel is such a huge thing for you, how are you feeling? And
1: well, it's been really hard. Um, being home for me, especially because I've got a daughter, so with her not being in school, it's been it's just been really tricky to mm-hmm. find the time. I'm so compromised in my work hours. You know, she's at school from with this with COVID only from eight till twelve, so it's a real frantic rush to get all my client work done in those four hours before I need to pick her up. So my creative work and my fun work has kind of falling by the wayside. But one thing I did do in February was I joined a studio and there are about 18 other artists in the studio. So as soon as um, that opened up we're a little bit ahead so we've been able to go back there since May. Seeing everybody again and being able to talk to them has been really good because it's such a diverse group of people and from fine art painters to a collage artist and a photographer and a woman that combines geography and design. And so having that has been a really great way to sort of expand my horizons when I can't leave the city, really.
0: Yeah, I've heard of these sort of like um, collaborative, creative, like studio workspaces, and it's such an interesting concept to me. It's almost like You know, and I've heard that, like you said, there's all different kinds of artists. So you guys can lean into each other for different things, which is really Mm -hmm. cool. Awesome. Is there anything like that you would sort of want to share with, um, you know, a younger generation of, let's say, a lettering artist or a creative? Is there any sort of piece of advice that you wish that you could go back and give your younger self? It's,
1: well, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to know. Sometimes yeah. I think I wish I'd been more forceful about it when I was really younger because mm-hmm. I knew that this was what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and my life took a detour to kind of get back here.
0: Mm-hmm. But on the other
1: hand, taking that detour, I think was so important for me yeah. at the end of the day. I mean, I think knowing you'll figure it out is the important yeah. thing. And it, it really doesn't matter what it looks like to get there. And what else do I wish I'd known? Practice. Sometimes I wish my school assignments I'd put a bit more effort into. I think I could have had <laughs> some really cool projects uh-huh. <laughs> that came out of that for my portfolio at the end. But because it was school, sometimes it was easy to yeah. sort of do the bare minimum. But I think... I think if you find something that you love doing, just figure out a way to make it work. And yeah. even if it is just a hobby for a long time, that's fine too. I don't think everything has to be monetized and not everything has to be a side hustle. I think it's also fine to just do something because you enjoy it without putting pressure on yourself to turn it into a thing, you know. Absolutely.
0: I mean, I think it's so inspiring to hear that you did it, um sort of on on the side for close to four years. I think that that's something that you know is really awesome to share because I just don't think that everybody understands actually how much time it takes of doing something day after day to sort of even start to get traction. Yeah. Um, and then I want to touch a little bit more on. I know that. Um, you know, we we mentioned it earlier that you're sort of passionate about, um, you know, assigning a certain value to your work and how, you know, in this day and age of social media, and you know, that's really a platform that you, you, you've used to help build your success. But at the same time, there's a huge um, thing happening, like sort of with the reposts that brands, especially I think with quotes and different typography and stuff like that, that different brands are using your work to fill up their feeds with, that empty space, maybe, and mm-hmm. you talk about um, the importance of paying artists for that and um, really like valuing your work.
1: Yeah, and that's—I mean—that's something that's a struggle because it is just a post, mm-hmm. and it's hard. I mean, it's it's hard to explain to people that it's got a value. But I think I think you can't be afraid of turning down opportunities. Mm-hmm. I turn down. A lot of free stuff and you know people ask what it costs and even if it's um you know not a ton of money or if i say okay you can you can use this and this is the amount of money that i want for it and they say okay we're not interested it's not being afraid to say okay no i'm gonna say no to this opportunity because <laughs> exposure that uh, is so you know sometimes it's good but on the other hand i've been reposted by You know really big um things before like refinery 29 or something but at the end of the day that doesn't maybe a few extra followers
0: but so talk to me a little bit about that so like when refinery 29 posts your work obviously you're super excited i would imagine and then you think okay I need to be paid for this so what does that look like are you sending somebody a dm are you emailing somebody what what is what happens after that
1: yeah and i mean i think usually the the bigger accounts now are usually better about um tagging you directly so that people can find you if they want to but it's i mean even writing to people to say like listen it would be great if you could put my name right at the top so people see who this is from and not hiding you know a tag to who i am at the very bottom it's like Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't understand that it's not just free to use because they found it on Instagram and that for, for artists, if we're not being paid for something and if they are just sharing our work, there needs to be a way for people to know, to find their way back to us, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. How, do you think that, um, how much like, you know, with Instagram, I know that you've used it a lot. Would you say that that's sort of like your number one platform and, is there something specific that you've done to grow your audience, or would you say it was just super organic and you continued to post and people continued to sort of join along on your journey?
1: Um, it's been pretty organic. Um, I did. There. I mean, there are a few things like if you can work with a big site. I've done some stuff with Women of Illustration, which has a huge audience. I've done some stuff with Good Type, and that was obviously helpful for me to find things. Um, and I have to say, I get. I do get work through Instagram, but not a ton. A lot of the work I get is um, through people I know or people that have worked with me and referred me. So I think at the end of the day, as great as Instagram is, and like I said, I don't really have a, anything that I've done has really been a very organic growth. I think being a nice uh, approachable person and somebody that's reliable and good to work with, as far Mm -hmm. as getting jobs and getting paid work, that's been the number one thing because so many of my clients are repeat clients where I've done something with them, it's worked really well, and then they come back to me again. And I think at the end of the day, that is what's important, especially if you're a designer, that somebody knows, okay, they can rely on you Mm -hmm. um, and they can trust you to deliver the work and equality and stuff that they're expecting.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, a huge portion of your work is, you know, for clients and, and um, can you walk us through like that process of, so somebody comes to you and they want to work with you. What does that look like sort of from the initial conversation to like the end result?
1: Well, there's two, (laughs) there's two
0: avenues.
1: (laughs) Okay. There's Instagram where somebody says, I need a logo for my yoga studio. What does it cost? Okay. (laughs) And then you tell them how much it costs and you never hear back from them. Um, Or people saying, you know, will you do this for me for $100? And then you say, no, I will not. Um, And then most of the serious, I mean, most of of people that um, get in touch with me find my email address and then they send me an email. So somebody's emailing me about work. I already know it's a more serious inquiry than.
0: Do you the feel DMs. like to sort of go back to like the DMs? Do you feel like there's an element of education that needs to be done there, or do you feel like it's just really like somebody who's actually looking for, you know, a cheap logo, and and that's sort of the end of the conversation?
1: I mean, I think maybe some of it is people really don't know how much work goes into it, and I think there's a lot of these. Um, like 99designs or Fiverr or something like that that people really think, okay, we'll just do a simple logo or whatever, and it costs 100 bucks, and that's it. Um, and you can explain to them why it's important to have a good logo and why it's important to invest in your business this way, but some people aren't going to value that, and there's no, there's no way you can educate them if they're not going to, if they don't think, if they they don't expect to place any value on it in the first place, you know, right, right. it's um, it's almost like going to expect a hundred dollar logo. And then when you say no, it costs way more than that. Go. Oh, I didn't realize sounds great. Let's do it. You know, it's totally,
0: uh, it's almost like you're qualifying your clients before you sort of dive into the initial stages of a project.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I always, I always do. So if somebody sends sends me an email, I tell them a little bit about the process. I tell them a little bit what they can expect. And then I usually jump on a call with them. And then on the call, I'll get an idea of what they need, if it's a good fit, because, you know, some things aren't going to be a great fit. And I think it has to be okay to say no to something where you feel like, Oh, I don't know if I can really, if I'm the best person for the job. Um, you know, I've had people that want some super sleek logo where it's like, okay, I, I don't think I'm the best person to do that because it's not going to be work that I'm happy with. And there are so many people that do a great job. I think you'd be better served going to somebody like that. Um, and then usually, I mean, to get into like the nuts and bolts of, of pricing, one thing that's worked really well for me is to have like a base, a base price and then different add-ons um of you know collateral of whether it's social media templates or whether it's you know a media packet that they need done or a t-shirt or something that they can add on and i think that gives the clients from my experience a feeling like they've got a little bit more control over the pricing of what they're choosing to have done and that's made them i think sometimes a bit more willing to say, okay, I'm going to book you for this, for, you know, a logo and one piece of collateral now, and then later on down the road, we'll throw a t-shirt in or something.
0: That's a really good piece of advice. So sort of putting them in control. Yeah. And then are there like a certain number of like reveal, um you know, moments, or do you just present them the final project at the end?
1: So I
0: do. And this, I mean,
1: if I'm doing, if I'm doing a piece of lettering, Usually, it it depends what it is. Um, If I do an editorial illustration, like for a magazine, it's usually just a sketch. The sketch is approved, and then I do the final. There's not usually a lot of corrections with something like that, but if it is something like a logo, then I do three options, two rounds for revisions. I know there are people that like to present just one option, but... For me, I find presenting three works better. But that's a matter of there, – there are two, I think, very different, like, camps when it comes to yeah. how many options you present at the end of the day.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The reason I ask sort of more so about your process is if there's anybody looking to – sort of make the jump to freelance or, um, you know, who didn't even know that lettering was an option as a full-time career, sort of what that looks like in terms of, you know, signing on a client and walking them all the way through a project to, to the end result.
1: Well, I mean, I think it it depends as well, what kind of lettering you do because the processes are so different. And I think if somebody's starting out that can be tricky because being approached by a magazine is very different to being approached by a client wanting a logo is also, again, very different to somebody that's saying, I have a t-shirt and it's kind of just a quick, um, you know, t-shirt design that's being done. Um, and I think if you, so if somebody's starting off, I think just communicating really clearly with your clients and before you start knowing, one, what you want to be paid or, you know, what your range is where you say, okay, this is acceptable to me. Um, That always helps, I think, um, to feel more confident when you're writing to a client that you know, okay, I'll do this for between whatever, three to $500. And that puts you in a better position. Like if they say, oh, I'm sorry, I only have 150 for this, whatever you can say, okay, you know, no, thank you.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's cool hearing you talk about sort of turning down client work and, um, you know, maybe saying no to the client, even, even if it's something as simple as them not being a good fit for you, you know, you can't, you know, meet their needs if they're looking for something really modern and sleek, and you're doing something a little bit more retro or more fun. and, And I think that that's a really good piece of advice to share as well.
1: Well, I also have to say like that it took me a while to be able to do that too. In the beginning, I did a lot of stuff. And if it's not a good fit, you don't enjoy doing it. It mm-hmm. ends up being really painful. And especially when I was doing it just on the side, it's like I'm working nights to get something done and I don't like what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It just, it's not a—it's—it's it's not an enjoyable process and it just makes the work kind of that much harder. And you, you know, hand it over and maybe have like a, a weird feeling in your stomach because it's not you. Mm-hmm. but I did work, I did work like that until I learned that I didn't have to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think it's, you know, important to have these conversations and share that hopefully, you know, if somebody's listening who is able to think, huh, okay, well, you know, m- maybe there is a different way. Maybe there is a better way.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there's there, I mean, there are a ton of resources and there are a ton of people out there that, um, give really good advice. Um, if you have questions about pricing and things like that, there's a woman called um, Molly, I think it's Molly Jakes or um, Dina Rodriguez from letter shop. And they have been super helpful to me as well because they do these courses and videos and that's a great way, even if it's just a case of helping yourself feel more confident. Um, And I think they offer I think they offer classes and things like that as well. But definitely there's, there's so many resources out there and, um, take advantage of it, you know, learn as much as you can. I think.
0: That's really good advice too. You know, even just sharing resources amongst like a creative community, I think is super helpful. Is there anything like that stands out to you as sort of your biggest challenge at the moment or a huge challenge that you've over overcame, um, and sort of how you got there? Um, I, I, know. <laughs> yeah. it's, I mean,
1: it's, it's, it's hard because I think, um, now I, I feel like, oh no, but mm-hmm. I remember last year working in my job and I really didn't enjoy it. And I wasn't at a place that where I felt like I could you know, freelance without it being really risky. That seemed, I mean, that was just a really hard period. Mm -hmm. You know, being in a, in a work environment that I, you know, had sort of checked out of um, and all the office, um, you know, the stress of the office and things like Mm -hmm. that. And, you know, not necessarily always a great work environment, but um, now that I'm gone, It's like, I've forgotten
0: all about it. Yeah. Do you think that you stayed mostly due to like the stability or like you talked, there's sort of like a prestige around having um, a title that, you know, is art director working for a bigger company and does it feel like uncomfortable to say I'm leaving that to do something that maybe feels a little bit more like experimental to everybody else? Well, I'm
1: also a super risk adverse person. Um, Mm -hmm. So before So I think one of the reasons it took me such a long time to go freelance is because I went from working 40 hours to doing 30 so that I had the Friday to do work on the side.
0: Okay. So you really kind of took a a slower approach to it. You really took a long process with it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so when I left, I had clients. I was earning as much freelancing as I was in my job. And that was when I said, okay, fine.
0: Mm-hmm. And I built up,
1: like, a big buffer. I had, like, four months' salary okay. just in case. Yep. All of a sudden, no work it came in at all.
0: Mm-hmm. So I needed to
1: do all those things gotcha. to feel comfortable. I If I was in my 20s, maybe I would have not been so cautious. But, okay. you know, I'm in my mid-30s, and I have, you know, a family and stuff. So I couldn't just say, like all right, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do my own thing. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that, 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 that phase of sort of working towards that was, was really hard. But at the end of the day, when it was finally like my last day in the office, it made it that much su- sweeter kind of, because I knew that I'd been working Do you know what I mean? I knew Mm -hmm, I had this goal that I was working
0: towards. I think you often don't, you hear it a little bit more like romanticized than that, you know, like I made a decision and I knew this wasn't right for me. And so I left and, you know, I decided to switch to freelance and now everything's successful and cheery, but it sounds like, you know, your approach to sort of be like a little bit more realistic about the situation and make sure you had a good foundation and set your timelines. And even though it wasn't exactly what you wanted to do in that moment, you really set yourself up sort of strategically for success
1: well listen i my first official day of freelancing of not being employed was march 1st and then two weeks later it was lockdown no way yeah so i'm so glad (laughs) that i did it that way because it meant that i was able to just kind of not freak out about um some you know some of the work that got canceled because i knew like okay i'm fine for a while
0: So it's so true. Like you just never know what's gonna happen. You know what I mean? Like how could you have expected? You know, a global pandemic two weeks after you know putting together this whole long plan to sort of work for yourself and do your own thing. Yeah. And something. I mean, it
1: made it. I. I. It really made me so much more relaxed about it because it was like, okay, fine. I mean, it's not ideal, but so I had a month of sort of not a lot of work, and then pretty quickly it went back to
0: you start to build it back up again. Yeah. And I know that, you know, talking about sort of what's going on in the world, um, you've typically swayed away from, um, you know, engaging in, you know, sharing your political views. But I think just, I mean, I, I wouldn't even consider it political, but with what's happening with like the Black Lives Matter movement, I know that you've been sort of leaning into sort of injecting some of your values and things like that into your work. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think I think before it was a hundred percent the privilege of one not having to say anything, and two thinking, oh, I don't know, it's Instagram is lettering? I don't want to rock the boat too much. Even though in my life it's something, it is something that's really important to me, and it's something that I talk about all the time with my friends, and I listen to political podcasts all the time. Like I've, I keep myself really informed, but I didn't express that because it seemed like, Oh, I don't know. It's not the place. And again, it's the, it's the privilege of feeling like, you know, I don't have to. Um, and so this was, I mean, I think for a lot of people and it sounds, it's, I mean, it sounds really silly to say, like, you realize how important it is to everybody, but it's for me, especially, thinking about everything that I learned in school and how biased my whole education was just was so um, such a such an eye-opener even though later you know I educated myself about a lot of things but just thinking like everything that we learned in school is so biased from yeah. the, the the white perspective And there's so many things that we don't learn about and so many things that are just sort of papered over and until everybody sits down and and does the work of really like accepting, like, you know, how terrible everything was in the past and all these horrible things that were done in the name of sort of, uh, for like us white people bettering ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, screw everyone else, not our problem. Mm-hmm. I think until everybody really comes to terms with that and what that really means, and the um, the way that affected so much of history. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so much work to do, and I think I felt like I can't not I can't not talk about that now. Mm-hmm.
0: I think so. it's, yeah, it's it's super inspiring. And I know like just having these conversations over the past few weeks, there's certain artists who are choosing to, um, you know, engage in the conversation and, and create art, um, you know, that really matters when it comes to bigger issues. Um, and what's going on in the world around you. And then there's other artists who are just choosing to keep it separate, which again, you know, there's nothing wrong with either uh, route. You know, some people just want to uh, create in a different vein, and then other people mm-hmm. want to sort of inject their personal opinions and values and views into, into their work and sort of using that to fuel a, a bigger purpose and a bigger drive.
1: Right. And I mean, I think for me, because it is something that's always been important to me, I always felt like I was censoring like, I had to censor myself a little bit for Instagram Uh and now it was definitely a moment where it's like, Oh, I don't, I don't need to, because if somebody has a problem with it, then leave, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't need, I don't need support from somebody that's going to be offended Uh by, you know, a human rights issue.
0: Absolutely. And so what has your response been? What, how have you felt or what has the feedback been?
1: It's It's been, I mean, I don't, nobody's really said, I mean, nothing really um, crazy. Uh, I posted a piece about, you know, racism being intrinsically linked to capitalism. And so a lot of like.
0: Yeah, it says racism uh, cannot uh, be separated from capitalism. Uh-huh. Right.
1: And it's an Angela Davis quote. And a lot of people uh, think that's. Supporting communism and things like that. So there's a lot. I mean a lot of that, but I think that's that kind of discussion. I think is fine, but there's never been anybody um, Questioning the racism aspect of it. They're questioning the capitalism aspect of it. And I think that's a uh, Yeah,
0: and I, I I mean just looking at this post, you know, there's a huge amount of conversation and engagement and it almost seems like a huge spike in, you know, whether or not the feedback is good or bad, you're, you're sparking conversation. And I think with art, a lot of the times, you know, that's lost.
1: Yeah. And it's something, and I mean, and, and that's something that for me, especially as a designer and somebody that's considered making products and, you know t-shirts or something just as an example it's like for me always the question is like okay well where is it being produced and i'm somebody that tends to only buy vintage clothes like you know i i don't like to support fast fashion stuff like that and so even that it's like questioning well what role am i playing and things like that and so they're just things that i've spent a lot of time thinking about and i think you know, going forward, it's, it's a good discussion to have with people that follow me because if I'm if it's something that I'm struggling with, I think it's something that other people are struggling with. And I think having a platform like this, like I said at the beginning, it's like I don't think no, like nobody has it all figured out. And I think mm-hmm. if you invite people into the conversation while you say like, I don't know, what is the best way to do this? Let's talk about what's going on is um, a way to spark a lot of really interesting um, conversations.
0: I couldn't agree more, so what what is hap- like what is the feeling like in Vienna right now? I mean, you can speak like maybe to the art um, the art scene or just sort of in general, like with everything happening how are you how is that feeling? well,
1: well i mean it's it's funny because things as far as corona life a lot of things have gone back to normal. Um, we were one of the countries that locked things down pretty quickly. Um, so it didn't get out of control, but you know it's in some parts of the country they're starting to see more cases so who knows what it'll look like in a month in a month's time. I think planning things now and that um, uncertainty about what things are gonna look like four weeks from now is is hard. It, it, that's, that's kind of something that's hard to, to live with that like and now. i don't know for who, who knows four weeks mm-hmm. eight weeks it's mm-hmm. it's so hard to say um and you know there's there was like a black lives march here and a ton of people showed up for that which was really which was honestly really surprising because austria has a a pretty bad history with with racism there's been a lot of i mean racism is pretty deeply ingrained in a lot of the country here to a really Mm -hmm. shocking um not so much anti-black but um islamophobia is really um terrible over here uh and so one of the things like i joined i joined a political party after that just to feel like i can help Mm -hmm. change things a little Mm bit um so that's been good I don't know. It's, it's hard to, it's, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to feel super uh, po- positive at the
0: moment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's
1: such a depressing thing to say, but it's, it's like, I think that that's back to our day to day, but there's always this thing hanging over your head of like, well, it might all change and there's nothing you can, there's nothing you can do about it.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. I hear ya. I hear ya. I think, you know, that's why it's part of the reason why I sort of wanted to start, um, a podcast is to just get like the behind the scenes sort of opinions and views and values of different artists and what they're going through and how they're feeling and how they are or aren't choosing to, you know, put it into their work. And I think it's super inspiring, you know, what you've done and how you've taken your stance. And I think like conversations like this are super important.
1: Yeah. I hope, I don't know, In a year, <laughs> we'll be able to look back and say, Mm-hmm. That it was really a turning point for so many things. Um, and I hope it wasn't, I don't know, just like a a blip that really some
0: lasting positive change comes mm-hmm. out of this. Mm-hmm. Something that I've always thought about, too, is like, you know, um, you know, you have – do you have one daughter? Yeah. You know, when she asks you sort of back – who who knows how many years – you know, in the future, she'll ask you sort of what you did or where you were or what your stance was or how it felt. Or, you know, I think something that's kind of interesting is that, you know, even being able to show her, you know, the art that you put out there and and your stance. And I don't know if Instagram will still be around or any of these things, but I think that it is, um, you know, sort of powerful to create something that marks this period in time and, you know, what you're doing to create change and that 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 can last forever, you know?
1: yeah. I mean, I've been taking her to like the climate change demos and we went to the Black Lives Matter march together. So I'm hoping as well that it's like from a young age, she'll have the sense of like having the possibility to, to make a difference and to not um, shy away from, from using her voice, you know, to speak up for stuff.
0: Totally. Well, you're amazing. I think that, you know, this has been a really, really great conversation Um, Is there anything that you sort of want, any projects that you're working on or you want to pimp yourself out on Instagram or
1: where Um, can everybody find you? Well, I'm working on fun stuff that I can't talk about at the moment, unfortunately. But um, (laughs) hopefully when that project is done, it'll be a fun thing to share. Um, Otherwise, I'm on uh, Instagram at Little Gem Studio. Um, People can find me there. Uh, and my website is littlegemstudio.com. there's work that I've done and yeah if anybody's in Vienna um, our studio is always doing fun things
0: so what's the name of the studio? studio walls studio walls yeah awesome so come by and check it out (laughs) yeah (laughs) Next time you're in Vienna, <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> hopefully not 2024.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm hoping in the future I'll be able to do a little bit more then, and and maybe show some of my stuff and have a little show. So I Absolutely. think that'll be cool to to maybe start thinking about what something like that might look like.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Sort of yeah. shifting shifting the narrative back to you know um forward movement. Let's hope that right. You know, stay stay positive. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Lucy. I hope you gained as much value and inspiration from her story as I did. If you love what you heard, please make sure you rate and review this episode on Apple Music and Spotify. Before we go, as you may already know, supporting female creatives is my passion, mission, and purpose. So I'm extremely proud to announce the Guapagal Shop. Everything carried in this section of the site is female-owned and artist-made by the movers and the makers in this very community. So you can now shop feeling good that every purchase you make empowers businesses just like mine to keep growing and thrive. So head over to olaguapa.com and discover your new favorite female-owned brands today.